0: Hello there, and welcome to the No Longer for Children podcast. I'm your host, Josiah Meyer, and we're in pursuit of a mature and stable Christian worldview. And today, I'm coming back from a uh, deputation trip out of Saskatchewan, and I uh, haven't done this before, but we're going to try and use the hands-free uh, features of this car, this rental car that I'm using, and it has a mic in the, in the dash, and buttons on the steering wheel and stuff. And we'll see if, uh, if I can talk through this podcast with no notes and uh, see if it uh, makes sense at the end. Um, I just listened to the podcast EA um, explaining uh, the Trinity, Way, and Salvation and stuff like that. And um, some a, a part of podcasting, and I, I thought about going back and fixing it, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to leave that there. Um, I I recorded the whole thing, and it felt so good. And then I got, and I said, and then God changed. And all of a sudden I realized I had a problem because I was talking about a timeless, unchanging God um, with the universe that changes. And uh, this is a a major problem that atheists point out all the time, that how can you have a personal God um, that is is unchanging and is timeless? And uh, I kind of tried to muddle my way through that. But in talking through it, and you can listen to it. I mean, it it does kind of make sense. But in thinking through it, I thought, you know what, that's that's not really satisfactory. Um, And so I've been pondering that for a few weeks since I recorded this, almost a month now. Uh, Listening to more William Lane Craig, of course, because um, I hope you don't mind me being – I kind of get stuck on one author, and that's the person I listen to all the time while I'm stuck on him and uh, William Lane Craig is the man right now, and uh, and uh, he has actually done a huge amount of work on time and eternity, God, time and eternity, and I need to research his stuff uh, on that subject because I realize that my views of time and eternity are a little bit shaky on this point, um, but uh, because I kind of had my antenna up for this issue because I realized due to that podcast that I had some have question um, was listening to the WLC and um, so the way he would describe it is this I'm not alone by the way in, in many Christians would say there's timelessness before creation and there's timelessness after creation um, or there's a timelessness around creation and time exists in the middle of it um, before I go to With WLC, I'll I'll talk more about the views I used to have that I think are now shifting over to something different. Um, uh, What's her name? Margaret Atwood is a popular fictional writer up here in Canada. And uh, I heard her lecturing, and uh, I don't think she's a Christian. She might be a really liberal Christian. Um, But she said something that kind of made sense to me she said that according to the Christian there is no time after death there is just an an eternal uh, aching timeless present um, either of judgment or of mercy and uh, she said something like that and that that sense of just being eternally stuck in the present uh, kind of stuck with me from what she said and I, I thought now, that makes sense how, um, how heaven can be eternal bliss and how hell can be eternal torment because uh, if you think of one consecutive moment after another after another, you would think, well, hell like kind of gets to be a long time uh, for, for being judged for what happens on the earth and during, you know, five years, ten years, fifty years, and then you suffer for it for journey. That's kind of strange. Um, certainly has been pointed out by um, atheists and skeptics before, that the, the crime, the punishment doesn't match the crime as well. And, you know, people don't mind that heaven that lasts forever, that the reward doesn't match the, the, the our life, although we're not rewarded for our lives, we're rewarded for Jesus' life, so that, that doesn't cr- create an issue because it's an eternal payment. Um, but if if we kind of slide into this jelly of, um, you know, if we're kind of in motion in between and then zoom and then we slide into this timeless, uh, jelly of the present, continually the present, um, then heaven and hell make more sense in the sense that it's, it's, a, it's a separation from God and it's, it's, it's just present. There's no consecutive moments one after another. Um, but philosophically speaking, there's a lot of issues with that, and the more I think of it, the more I'm like, ah, that that worked in Bible school and and, and you know I guess it's seminary too. Um, but I need to I need to work on this a bit more. So this is me just kind of working on it, uh, and so I'll share. Okay, so I shared what you know my my placeholder philosophy. Um, and now I'll share a little bit about uh, Waylon and Craig's ideas, which make a lot more philosophical sense. Um, the, the The other big problem with um, timelessness is that it's really hard to see how you can have relationships and what we understand as a person in, in timelessness. Um, relationships are... Um, as we experience relationships, they're a history of, you know, we walk through time with somebody, and you have interactions with them through your sensory perception. You, you communicate with them through language, and, and um, you know, you, you, you front, your souls bump into each other, and you have a relationship. And persons, as we experience them, they have free will thoughts. They have free will actions. They observe the universe. Uh, they reflect on on the universe, on the created order, and they act upon the created universe. And these are all kind of essential components to uh, being a person. If you just, you know, somehow just took a slice of time, just an instant, you know, like a snapshot, um, a person in that moment would only be personal in the sense that this is a slice of their life. Um... But it it seems hard to see how somebody can be really personal in a motionless state. Because all the things that that we know or that that make somebody into a person seem to happen within time. Now, granted, that's our time-bound perspective. Uh, We've never existed outside of time, so we can't really know what that looks like. Um, But a much bigger problem is that if God is related to us in time... He can't be out of time, and so my this whole nonsense, my my whole theory of the Trinity and stuff like that. Even as I was explaining it, I was like, I'm not sure if this really makes sense. This is kind of what I've been thinking about. It's amazing when you talk through things how you realize, ah, that 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 made more sense in my mind than it does like when it comes out of my mouth. Um, so if God in the Old Testament is relating to his people, and you know he gives them the law and stuff like this. Uh, and then he he feels disappointed with them. I mean, we don't, even before the, the law, he creates he creates the world, and then he, in the Bible it reports he feels stronger regret that he created humanity because of their sin and wickedness, and that's why he sends the flood to kind of start over at ground zero. So, and then after the flood he says, well I won't do that again. That was um, also very very sad to, to wipe out humanity. So if he's making these decisions, these are moments within his internal world. And these sorts of moments can't happen unless he's outside of time. Um, The only way to get around this, and this is a possibility direction I could go, is that before time or outside of time, God is able to interact with humanity in a hypothetical way. And this is actually the theory of Molinism, that God, as he's thinking about his universe. Um, he is able to to think about um, all the potential worlds, And in talks about potential world and actual world. Uh, so there's only one actual world that we know of that he created or one actual universe. But there's all these potential worlds that he could have done. And so because he knows all the facts, even though people are free He knows exactly what Pharaoh would have done. He knows exactly what Moses would have done. He knows exactly what, uh, you know, Judas Iscariot would have done in in any given world, in any any given situation. And so the theory of Molinism is kind of between Calvinism and Arminianism, saying that before all worlds, God sat down and... I'm just going to use incorrect language to just kind of pretend that, you know, just use our time-bound language to explain this. But... um, you know, it's like God sat down and said, ah, oh, I could do this, I could do that, I could do this. Well, if I do this, then, you know, Pharaoh's going to do that. If Pharaoh does that, then I'm going to do this. And, and he hashed that out for all, like, 10 trillion people in the universe, uh, in, in the world, and he decided what he was going to do. So, now come back into timelessness and say that God just knew all these things. Um, and he predestined and he, and he decided what he was going to do. So that... When, um, when it says God changed his mind, God was saddened, all these sorts of things, um, that only is true in the sense that before all worlds he was saddened and he realized, you know what, no matter how I do this, humanity's going to reject me. I'm going to have to send my son to die for their sins. Um, I'm going to have to wipe out of the flood. Um, in time as these things happen, um, he wasn't saddened because God doesn't change. God doesn't move. He decides everything. And, uh, you know, time marches on. And it is in a timeless, unchanging way, God reacts. He, God, God, you know, sees the universe. Um, but that, it, it's difficult. It's really difficult. Even, even the idea of God um, interacting with, with humanity in a timeless way for one thing it doesn't really fit Jewish scriptures um in the Jewish scriptures much to the chagrin of Greek speaking and Greek thinking um, early church fathers God had emotions. uh God cared God got his feelings hurt um God wanted to think one way and his people chose another way and he got angry and he uh got jealous um and um uh, and these are all time-bound things. It, it is really hard. I mean, you, a Calvinist would basically have to say, and by the way, the view that I just described was, had a lot more to do with Calvinism than Molinism, but uh, that, you know, that God decided beforehand what he would do and then relate to the world in a timeless way. Um, that, um, where was I here? Um, it doesn't really describe how God works. Uh, how God, you know, just as you're reading scriptures, the your, your visceral reaction or your, your prima facie reading of scriptures it really seems to build God is within time, experiencing time with us, and he's genuinely shocked and surprised and horrified uh, by and, and overjoyed at times by his interactions with humanity. Even though he knows the future, even though he knows what's going to happen, even though he's predestined in the future. So How can it be that God is within time and then also outside of time? And I think I explained this, although I kind of went a different direction, but even if God is outside of time and observing humanity, observing time, um, his observation of creation and then his observation of, um, of the fall are going to create two different states within his mind before he observed them and after he observed them. Unless he observes them in a timeless state, I suppose, Uh, but that would mean that creation would need to be eternal, as God is eternal. If creation didn't exist, and then it existed, and then the creation didn't exist, and then it existed, the fall didn't exist, and then it existed, uh, then God would need to change in his essence. Unless, (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm working this out as I go here. Unless there's a sense or God has some sort of perspective where He is able to see all of time from his timeless vantage point. Um, And so there isn't a change in God because although history changes, um, God is able to to see it from a timeless vantage point. Um, And in that sense, the universe would have to be eternal along with God. Um, Because in the sense that God always knew it was there and God didn't change, because God never changes. God is, is timeless and eternal. This is very important. Um, if if God changes, then uh, it's difficult to see how he can be eternal. I'm going to pause this and think for a little bit. The advantage that you don't have. Well, actually, I guess it is an advantage that you have. You can pause it at any time as well. So now that we've tied ourselves all up at knots with the issue of God being Timeless, yet also personal, also relational, and also implicated in the universe that he created—at least in the sense of interacting with us—in time-bound reality and experience. Um, let's talk about William Lang Craig's explanation of this whole situation, and he would say that God existed in a timeless state uh, before all worlds, and this is
1: terminology
0: that comes from the Creed. God would. Jesus was begotten of God before all worlds, timelessly. And, that, and so we can just kind of pretend, you know, if you're thinking about this, just think about the ground, and the ground is God, and God just exists before all worlds, before all time. And then God creates the universe, and he creates time. And so just imagine a tree sprouting up, and this is time shooting up from the ground, and as soon as time is created, God enters into time. And at, from that point on, God is in time. God changes with with the universe. Um, and God changes with time. And so this is how, and this solves the problem of God is in heaven. Jesus is in heaven with scars. Jesus is back in heaven with a resurrected human body. Um... So God is different now, post-Jesus is different, you know, the Trinity is different now, post-incarnation resurrection, than he was before incarnation resurrection. And this is why also when, um, you know, an uninitiated person, or somebody that's not super influenced by Calvinist theology is reading the Bible will say, well, it seems as though God is, is growing and changing along with his people. Uh, He tried one thing, it didn't work. He tried something else, it didn't work. Um, And eventually, you know, he sends Jesus. And and that's kind of like, oh, that worked. Um, Now, we'd be very careful to say that God predestined all these things. God knew beforehand what he was going to do. And so there is a sense where he is is walking along with his people, growing, um, being angry, being jealous, uh, being overjoyed, having all these emotions. But there's also a sense in which, he already knows the end from the beginning. He already knows how it's going to be. He already, in that timeless state before all worlds, he already thought through all the potential worlds. And I am a Molinist, so I do believe that he thought through all the potential worlds. He did plan out how everything would, would work out. He did, you know, in his mind already see me as predestined and as he's thinking about my situation. In the year 2016, he's thinking about all the things that are going to happen, and he's thinking, I have predestined to to be driving on this road in Saskatchewan with swamps on both sides and podcasting about this subject and, and hurting his mind um, trying to think about these things. And God, before all, all worlds, thought about these things and decided this is what how it's going to be. I'm going to have him do this, and and uh, pretty soon he's going to go home to his wife and kids, and, and they're all going to be happy to see him. Um, so God, God made this plan, predestined it, based on his knowledge of all people's free will decisions in every potential given world. And, um, again, just to, to tie, uh, Molinism in with Romans 9, which is, is where, you know, free will and sovereignty, um, smash together in the Bible, um, God knew that Pharaoh would reject him in any given world. And he knew that, whether he was, you know, going to be a drunk on the street of New York and shaking his fist up in the sky, or whether he was going to be around since the 2nd, um, and he was going to win a bunch of battles, become very proud, and then think that he could take on Yahweh, the God of the Jews. Uh, and God was going to be able to show his glory and his strength through that conflict. And so God put. Pharaoh, the Pharaoh of the Bible, which I believe was Ramses II, Ramses the Second, into that historical situation to tell the story of his glory, um, because Pharaoh was going to choose that no matter no matter when, no matter where, free will choice. So God makes this plan based on His knowledge of all potential worlds and of the real world, and um, and then He, boom. The big bang happens, he initiates time, and then he enters into time with us. So all three persons of the Trinity enter into time, um, and they experience reality differently. They're, quote-unquote, in heaven, in a parallel dimension to us, um, and and they cross over into our dimension. There's spirits, there's, there's angels and demons, uh, there's other crazy stuff up in heaven that doesn't really interact with us a whole lot, um. You know, there's, there's beasts with four faces, and there's uh, cherubim, seraphim, and if you want to study that stuff. You can, but basically, the angels and the demons are the ones that interact with us. Um, and uh, and he is marching with us in time. And so this this timelessness before, quote unquote, before, and then
1: creating
0: the world is the first time-bound act. It's it, it happens. Exactly at the same time God's decision to create the world it happens at exactly the same time as the creation of the world. Now this solves a whole bunch of problems uh, which is why it, you know, William Lane Craig's theory and probably a good number of philosophers would agree with him or he would agree with them however that works. Uh, one thing it solves is the explanation of, of why the universe came to exist at a specific point in, in the past um, this is a big problem that uh, atheists have to wrestle with because somehow you have eternity. Um, you can't get away from eternity. That There needs to be some eternal foundation for, for the time-bound universe to sit on. Um, but if, if it's on atheism, you need to ask the question, why does the universe pop into its existence, you know, billions of years ago, and already be achieved death, already be done? Why did it happen, I think it was 15 billion years ago, I, I think, is the number that atheists are working with, something like that. Why did it happen then, at a finite time in the past, and not before? Um, I'll briefly mention the, the cosmological argument. The cosmological argument says everything that exists either is caused to exist or exists eternally. And the universe does not exist eternally. We know this from the Big Bang theory and from uh, the first and second laws of thermodynamics. We know that it has a a beginning at at a distinct point in the past. Therefore, it was caused to exist. Whatever exists either is eternal or it was caused to exist. Um, And uh, and so it was caused to exist by something. Things don't just come into, into existence uncaused out of nothing, they're caused by something or they're eternal and so what sort of a thing could cause the universe? Well it would need to be something that's outside of the universe something that's big enough to create it something that's timeless that's um, uh, eternal which is kind of to say the same thing, that's incredibly powerful, that has the intelligence to create the universe, that's a fine tuning argument which is a separate argument, but the universe was created in such a way with It began in such a way that was very specific, incredibly specific, uh, to an incomprehensible degree. There was uh, intelligence, I guess, Uh, but there was precision in how the universe was started. It seems as though it was fine-tuned. And so it it would need to be something outside of everything we know, something timeless, eternal, spaceless. and so there's two, basically two options for that. Uh, what, what exists in a timeless, spaceless um, form? Things like numbers and abstract concepts, like a perfect sphere. You can think about a perfect sphere, and that concept exists um, in, a, in a timeless sense. The number two exists. Uh, we don't, nobody invented the number two. They discovered it. It, it exists in a sense. Um, And and certain laws, although a lot of laws are are bound up within our universe, certain laws, uh, so they say, are are eternal, are are, principles that are always true. Uh, Perhaps moral concepts, such as um, it it is not good to cause harm to another being, is probably a good moral concept that just kind of exists that's out there. But these concepts and these numbers and these ideas don't change. And so there's a real difficulty with, if there's timelessness, how does suddenly a universe start? Uh, Principles and and laws and and timeless ideas and concepts, they don't change. So there's no trigger finger to, like, shoot the universe into action. Uh, Those are just timeless concepts. But something that we could imagine that could be timeless is a mind. Um, And it would have to function differently than minds that we know, as I mentioned at the beginning, that we're used to uh, persons being time-bound, having relationships, having experiences with the world. But we could imagine a timeless um, mind that's just, um, just in a constant state of, you know, the Trinity, so there's three persons in a constant space of mutual enjoyment of one another and experiencing one another and their internal world, um, you know, each person has an internal world and that internal world is shared through language and through communication in a timeless way. Um, when I think of, of the Trinity before time, I just think of singing a single note that's kind of Ah. And just kind of the trinity being in relationship like that, seeing one another, loving one another, um, and then they decide to create the world. There's a decision. And you could say, well, hold on a second. If they decide something, this, this is a time-bound thing. They, there was a moment where they didn't decide, then there was a moment where they decided. Well, that's like saying there's a golf ball sitting on the tee it's not in motion, it's not in motion, all of a sudden it's in motion, is there a moment when there's a transition between the motion and and being uh, still, um, you know, you hit it with golf club, it goes flying, so there's a trajectory of motion, um, but that starts at a certain point, so when the golf club comes swinging down, bam, it hits it, um, then the trajectory starts, and so God's decision to create the universe was the first moment in time. Before that, God, you know, was thinking about the universe. And granted, that that is a difficulty: how God would think without time. Um, but I guess that 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 is just something that's part of the mystery of God. That God is able to think without time. God is able to have ideas. God is able to predestine all of humanity and all of in real world, outside of time. Um, and, you know, the, maybe the pushback to that is to say, well, we don't know what it's like to be outside of time, so we can't imagine what it would be like to have thought uh, in a timeless sense. Or maybe there's another explanation to that in philosophy that I haven't gone to yet. But somehow God thinks outside of time, but his first decision is happens at the same point as his creation of you know, the Big Bang or creation of um, of light, if you go with the six-day creation account. Um, his first moment of creating the universe is also the first moment of time, and then God enters into time immediately upon creating it. Pause here. So here's the beauty of podcasting. In the previous podcast, I just... Solved one problem, which was the incarnation, and I kind of, by the end of it, realized I had another problem, which was the changelessness of God. And uh, so, in this one, we solved the, the changelessness of God, and towards the end, I realized, well, the problem is God's thinking in eternity. So, after pausing this and pondering for a little bit, I think where I would go with that is. Um, The perfection of God. So with computers, we're getting closer and closer to instant answers. Uh, If you ask a calculator, what's four times four? There used to be a lag, right? Um, Or like my parents' generation would remember buying a a calculator for like $300. And you enter that in and there might be a lag um, at, uh, you know, 60 uh, kilobyte per minute, whatever <laughs> processor is thinking about what 2 times 2 is. Uh, but today's calculator, is boom, it's instant. Um, and as well, like when you ask a computer a more complicated question, what is the square root of, of pi or whatever, boom, the answer is right there. Um, and uh, now there is a lag. There, there is a process of it thinking through things, but it happens so quickly that the, in our experience of that, the, the question is basically, basically happens at the same time as um, as the answer. So if God is is perfectly smart, um, you can probably find a more technical way to say that, but um, is it possible that His imagining all possible worlds, thinking through every person in the universe, every potential person in the universe that may or may not exist, and all their free will decisions, which, you know, for us, even for the biggest mega-computer in the world, to to imagine all this would just be impossible. Um, It would take even to think through all the possible uh, free will decisions of one person, would just be an incomprehensible amount of information. But if God's mind is infinite, then is he able to process all this information, not just quickly, but so quickly that that, um, his answer to the question of what I would have done in every possible world is synonymous. It it happens at the same time as the question, what would Josiah do in every possible world? Um, So that uh, this knowledge that he has of of the universe and, what, and his decision of, of what he's going to do. Not Sorry, not the decision, but his knowledge of what he's going to do happens um, timelessly and in that sense instantly. Now this does uh, create the problem of again, the world becomes eternal in the sense that God in a timeless sense always knew about the world, always knew about me, always knew about you. And so our in a sense, we are eternal um, because God knew of me eternally. Um, I'm not sure that that's a fatal flaw, uh, but that's not how we're used to thinking. We're used to thinking of I came into existence, you know, um, what is it, 33 years ago, um, and before that I didn't exist. But I think actually that is faithful to Scripture, that um, before you before uh, was it uh, Jeremiah was was um, conceived, God had a plan for him, and before time, He's predestined us to salvation in that nation, and um, He's create He's predestined us to good works that we should walk in them. So, I think that might come close to answering the question. We'll probably have another podcast uh, eventually, and I'll be like, "Here's the answer to this," and then I'll be like, "Oh no, I created another problem." But uh, I think God. Ability to process information so quickly that it in instance um, might help to explain how God could think about the universe in a timeless way. So, um, I think I'll wrap it up here, maybe with prayer, but before I do, I do want to mention, um, if you're an atheist and you're listening to this and kind of chuckling like, "Oh, ho, look at him, look at him sweat, um, I would really encourage you to work through your own issues. Um, if if the universe is eternal, why didn't it happen before? If, you know, bubble theory is your, your theory, how did the bubbles get there eternally? Uh, what was creating the bubbles? And, and what sort of eternal generator could we imagine for temporal, time-bound uh, universes that are all winding down? And why isn't, like... Whatever space there is out there, all cluttered up with, you know, spent and used up universes, to the point where there's no more room for it all. Um, these sorts of questions create problems for Christians and atheists alike, and uh, we both do our best job of it. And I'm kind of new to this field because so I didn't study philosophy in seminary. So, anyway, that that being said, um, and don't don't ever assume, Mr. Atheist, that if Christians fail in um, Creating a defensible uh, worldview that therefore atheism must be true—that's not true. Um, if Christianity fails to present a case, either the Christian is incompetent, which is highly co- highly possible in my case, or another religion could be a, a valid option. Um, so don't—I think that Christians uh, have often let atheism off the hook for providing a positive case for their beliefs. Uh, if the Christianity fails, then atheism is the default position for a lot of people, but every world you need to create a positive case for uh, their beliefs. And when you create positive cases, uh, you're going to have to get into time and eternity and these very difficult issues, uh, so there's such as I'm wrestling with right now. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you bless this time. and uh, I had fun. It's um, kind of humbling to uh, talk about something that I haven't quite figured out in my mind, but I think it's helpful people all right, I'll do that. Um, uh, to listen in, and I just pray that you would uh, bless people as they listen and uh, bless people as, um, as they also wrestle with these issues. And she doesn't name amen.